0: Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda de Christina Sanchez is a Bogota-based filmmaker and a member of this year's Bogota House. In this interview, we talk about growing up during some of the darkest years of the Colombian Civil War, the transformative power of female rage, and the impact Christina hopes to have through her burgeoning film career. Good morning, Christina. Or, oh, well, I don't even know if it's good morning for you. Where are you? I'm in
1: Bogota. It's noon. Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, so you're actually a little behind from me. I'm
0: a little behind. So, Christina, you're a filmmaker, a screenwriter, and a member of the Bogota house for this year's VS 20. Your short film, Baby, had its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2022. That is a huge feat for any filmmaker. Can you tell me what
1: Baby is about, please? Yeah, so Baby is loosely based on my childhood experiences, and it's just a small character study of the complexities of girlhood and uh, growing up and feeling isolation and insecurities. Something that so
0: many of us can relate to. Yes. What were some of the ideas that you were wanting to address through that film?
1: I think I just wanted to normalize how lonely and dark a period like childhood actually is. I think it's very uh, romanticized, especially for girls. And at least in my case, you know, I had to grow up pretty early and I lost, you know, that, that lightness and that innocence that came with it. So I just wanted to portray, you know, that moment when you're supposed to be a baby, but you actually are not and how people around you start to figure that out
0: hmm Your childhood took place during what you called the worst period of the Colombian Civil War. How would you describe the climate that you were raised in?
1: I feel the Civil War was so, it was a very long period. It's actually one of the, long, I think it's the longest Civil War in the world, like 60 years. Gosh. I think it's very brutal because especially people who grow up away from the conflict, as was my case, you know, in in bigger cities, because the conflict was mostly in the countryside, people grow up very used to violence and just brutality. And like, there's some sort of collective anesthesia, you know, Mm. where it's just normal that that is going on. A desensitization. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, if you're born like that, and Your parents grew up, like my parents grew up in the 60s, and that's when it started. So it's just this normalization that violence is a part of your country and your code and your language. So we were very fortunate to not have the conflict, you know, be a actual part of our lives to affect us. But especially when I was little, you know, uh, Pablo Escobar, he was just right about to get murdered. But there were many car bombs and many... uh, It was just normal, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's another car bomb. And oh, yeah, there's another plane that got hijacked. And oh, yeah, there's another presidential candidate that got murdered. And um, I feel that I was in one of these generations where we started to grow up questioning how normal it was for this country to be so violent and the government to be so violent and so brutal. And yeah, it just... I feel people in Colombia have, unfortunately, violence in their gene code. You know, it's mm. a, it's something that just becomes a part of society, which is pretty devastating.
0: When did you realize that not everybody in the world was growing up with this experience?
1: At least in my case and many people my age, I feel the most brutal part isn't only the fact that it's going on, you know, in... Uh, guerrilla groups and but also like the government itself is selling violence and it just came to a point when I started to question what the government was doing because it's something that my family and my elders and in general everyone wasn't doing you know because it's in their gene it's like oh no it's normal you have to respond to violence with more violence Hmm. it's normal for civilians to disappear and it's like no I think it's actually not there is like a generational breach of some sort where we just started to, to really question it. And I do feel that um, the internet has an important play in it. We just started getting information from other places and we started to inform ourselves. And I feel like our parents and our grandparents and our uncles and everyone... There's very limited access to news for them. Mm -hmm. It's just like the same three platforms and the same three outlets, and they all come from political power. I just finished Succession. It's not only in the U.S., you know, in general, whoever controls the news controls the country. How do you think the war influenced
0: your relationship to creativity?
1: That's a very... Uh, Interesting question. I wasn't directly affected by the war. I came from, you know, much more privilege. But I do feel everyone who grows up normalizing a war has some sort of code broken within them. I I feel more than the war just being Colombian. We're a very visceral uh, country. Everything comes from within, from the guts, from boiling blood where I grew up. Here, everything is just very impulsive. And we are very hot-headed about everything. Actually,
0: I looked at on your website, you have something called a mood board. Yes. And I loved, I looked at everything that you had on your website. The thing that I loved was your mood board. Because I love to see the art and the imagery that was inspiring to you. And actually, a lot of it did have guts in it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I feel that's one of the reasons why I was cast in the VS-20, because um, the relationship with the body is one of my the most central themes. Inhabiting bodies is just such a unique and such a dark and deep and beautiful experience. And I don't feel we talk about it that much. It's just like the war. I feel we've normalized living inside our bodies and we don't, we don't have an awareness of how miraculous and strange it is to be in these machines. In
0: your interview
1: with VS, you wrote
0: that the themes that you most like to explore in your stories are femininity, the human body and darkness which are all subjects that I, too, love. But can you tell me how those three ideas intersect in your
1: work? I feel this first uh, call to anatomy and darkness came from my own experience when I was 14, like just after the baby period of the short film just coming of age. And I was very closed in as a kid. And I had many dark thoughts and many dark feelings. And I had no tools and no perception of how to communicate them. And then a doctor found a nodule in my thyroid. And each year, it started to get bigger and bigger. And I had to be subjected to some pretty painful procedures. They would be like, please lie down on the table and they would just like make my head hang and be like, don't swallow. This is going to hurt a little and just like a huge syringe into my throat just to, you know, drain the... Biopsy. Yeah. And um, that was like when I was 12 and then I had to do it each year and there came a point where I was like, okay, this is only getting bigger and we're starting to see um, calcium and that's like a a big no-no. It's like a very uh, close cousin to what could be a tumor. So I had to have my thyroid removed and I was 14 and um, it was just like a very um, open body experience. I had to have like this, a huge scar on my neck. And for like the first few weeks I had to have a, like a bag and just because they had to wait for the result, like, is it benign or is it malign? And it's like, maybe they would have to take out the rest of the thyroid. So I would just have blood coming out of like a little tube into a bag that I would have to carry around. And it just completely changed my perception on the machine I was operating in. And uh, Mm -hmm. just understanding that there is a connection to the darker places in your mind and your body. And, you know, it's no coincidence that I just all of these thoughts and feelings and negative emotions got stuck there in the throat. And that's where it formed. You know, so voice
0: or your inability, you said you had an inability to or didn't have any tools to process that. Exactly. So it got stuck. It makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it got stuck. And I ended up having to, you know, like it sounds very dramatic, but like being mutilated, you know, just like Mm -hmm. having an incision. And uh, it just really changed the way I perceived myself. And I feel that was like the pivotal point where I just started to understand how complex and intertwined these three aspects are. You've said that being a woman
0: is dark and that you like that. And you've spoken a little bit about where that thought might have come from. But can you expand on that for me?
1: Yeah, um, I feel people, you know, because of these Greek uh, dramaturgical and biblical narratives associate darkness to negativity and associate darkness to something that isn't good. And uh, I think that's the first step in rewriting. I don't believe in light as good and dark as bad. I just feel it's it's a natural part of who we are. And because of that biblical you know, narrative that we've been taught, those darker sides, we as women, I feel we've been conditioned and taught to repress them. It's not necessarily that being a woman is an absolutely dark experience. It's that it is also dark. And that is good. I mean, we as women, our rite of passage is bleeding. And that is a very violent experience, especially the first time. And for some women, it is violent every month. You know, if you have endometriosis and you have, you know, other conditions and you're just like taught to shut it out, deal with it, not bother anyone, go to work and don't complain. And I think it's, it's absurd.
0: Yeah. I mean, my feeling is that darkness is crucial and is just as valuable because without darkness, we don't know that there's light. Yeah. We must have polar opposites in order to recognize
1: light as well. Exactly. And I mean, the universe came from darkness. That's right. You know, existence and life came from darkness. At some point in time, there was nothing but darkness. And from darkness is where things come and start to sprout even light itself yeah so yeah i think it's um it's an interesting way to see femininity and just rewrite it and normalize that we as women are allowed to you know like war like that darker side is associated to men like war and violence and strength and um which we have
0: too if you look back exactly historically there were female leaders of armies there were women who were warriors, That that is an aspect of womanhood that is often written out of history.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's just understanding that just because that's what's been written for the past, I don't know, two millenniums, that doesn't mean that our nature, you know, our human nature, our anatomical nature isn't still writing these codes, isn't still holding, you know, and storing this darkness. And I feel it's so much more, it's so much healthier to just acknowledge it and normalize it and make it a part of our narrative, even from girlhood. Absolutely. Because suppression
0: makes people feel that there's something wrong with them. Exactly. And exactly. It there's not, you know, women's anger is a subject that I have spent a lot of time thinking about just because of the cultural norms around women expressing rage and how it is so socially unacceptable for a woman to be angry. And yet, of course, we have that emotion. It's there for a reason to also guide us away from and towards a better place. And I think that it's, even though we're in 2023, some of the more darker emotions are still considered to be unappealing for women. And we're taught from a young age to not show that.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And it's exactly what you're saying. We are taught that there's something wrong with us. You know, like I must have an anger problem or, you know, uh, even sexually. Our sexual awakening is very lonely because it's brought on to shame. You know, I feel like I grew up with many boyfriends, you know, like surrounded by men and they would constantly talk about their bodies, their hairs growing, their penises having erections like, oh, I'm not, I don't have semen coming out of me. Oh, you don't? I do. Like it was very uh, accepted and collective. And it's like, yeah, like boys are supposed to, you know, masturbate. 24-7 and they're supposed to be thinking about sex and that's in their nature and I was masturbating all day long and I was thinking about sex all day long not even the act of penetration because that's that's where I feel is one of the main problems it's people associate sex to the sexual act Mm -hmm. and it's so much more complex than that when you're nine years old you're not thinking no about the act of the of penetration itself, but you are thinking about sex, you're thinking about your body, your feelings, you're thinking about so many things that are going on. And we don't have that same, you know, space. We don't have language. We
0: don't have it. Think how many words there are to describe men and boys masturbating. Yeah, there's so many words. And when you think about what there is for women, there is a couple of really, bad descriptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there isn't a language around female pleasure. Exactly. And you're right. That is that is a conversation that does need to be normalized because otherwise those feelings get pushed
1: underground again. Exactly. And female, female pleasure doesn't start when it's acceptable for women to have sex starts way earlier. Exactly. Just as it is for boys. I mean, boys, like a cousin of mine, she has a son and he's, I don't know, like seven and he loves what's what he feels down there, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's not because he wants to have sex. He just is becoming aware of these feelings and it starts with us as well. But we are taught that it's only normal for us to feel sexuality rather than sexual desire, which I feel are two different things. Yes. Yes. How do you differentiate those two things? I feel sexual desire has to do with others and sexuality has to do with yourself. Mm.
0: And you have to know yourself. You have to understand and have a relationship with your sexuality, with yourself, before you can really be with somebody else. Exactly. Otherwise, you have no dialogue and you have no experience and no knowledge of your own body and what you like and what feels good and what you don't like and what doesn't feel good.
1: Yeah. And I feel that's why for so many young women and men as well, their first sexual experience is terrible. I feel it's more the people I know whose first sexual experience isn't a good one because, you know, they didn't have the tools to understand what they needed to get from that. And because they're associating their sexuality with sexual desire. And it's probably making things, you know, forced. So I just definitely feel, you know, like that darkness, that anatomy, that femininity and as well masculinity. But because we we have masculinity. Sure. It's an aspect of, of being female. Yeah, it's just such for me, it's just such a pivotal and important part of my identity and our identity. And I do feel that that can condition your whole life that can definitely take a toll on you and um, condition who you are as a person, as a professional, you know, dealing with negative emotions as a sexual being. It's it's just going to be in every aspect of your life. Well, it
0: definitely prohibits you from a full expression and a full embodiment of all aspects of yourself. Yeah. And As a woman who has opinions and who has spoken about these narratives for many, many years, as I'm sure you've experienced, not everybody is welcoming of these conversations. There is a patriarchal system that is set up to keep women in a more friendly zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And less empowered. And so I think the trick for me, at least, has been to find Professionally, people that I can collaborate with who also speak this language and who are looking to show a fuller expression of what it means to be feminine and what it means to be someone who identifies as being a woman today. And I'm curious what ideas you're hoping to explore through your film with VS.
1: Well, I definitely wanted to reinterpret two terms that I feel are very stereotyped, which are femininity and being, you know, a Latina woman. So that was my starting point. And, you know, for me, it's no coincidence that it's the Bogota house. So what I wanted to do was to write a correlation between what it is to inhabit a city as Bogota and a body identifying as a woman and navigating the two. Because I did find that there are just many different ways in which They're the same thing, and in which they are not. But Bogota is just this beautiful and brutal and vast and chaotic place. And I would use all of those words to describe our bodies as well. Mm, I love those connections you've made. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was my starting point. I feel like that was the pitch that they were like, okay, sold. We like it. And definitely, you know, there is this idea of, navigating a woman body that's like very conditioned and very oh it's this and that and that's just about it and it's the same with being you know a, a Latina and a Colombian there's so much more going on and I feel like there are so many layers and vibrations and connections and just so many cables you know going through different places that I, I thought were interesting to rewrite you know like For me, the best example is the Mexico and Latin America filter in movies, where it's like if anyone's like in a Latin American place, it's just like a very yellow and warm and like arid filter, and everything's like super the stereotype. Yeah, exactly. And um, I was like, okay, well, if I'm gonna have the chance to show what it is to be a Colombian woman and what it is to navigate femininity in a place like Bogota, I want to start by showing that you know this is completely different. We're a gray city, we're a green city, and it's just like a collision between concrete and vegetation, which I feel is very similar to experiencing, you know, in the bodies, you know, the rational and the intelligence and the thought processing versus the wilder, more visceral and just... uh, The intellect and the emotions. Yeah, and the emotion, exactly. And there is a strong collision in Bogota. As you will see, you have these huge, absolutely immense and vast mountains that surround the city. And you have these buildings who are absolutely, you know, man-made skyscrapers, whatever you want. But compared to the immensity of that mountain, they're just, you know, like a little a little part of something so much bigger. I can't wait to see it.
0: What impact do you hope to have with this film?
1: In my case, you know, I was asked to make these specific portraits about these amazing women, women that I was so honored and humbled to work with. And I guess I just wanted to normalize and uh, show that our experiences don't have to be, you know, like spectacular and glamorous and like absolutely breathtaking for us to be special. So I tried to, you know, just show very ordinary settings, very ordinary scenes of ourselves, our lives, and who we are when we are by ourselves. Because I feel that people are the most interesting when they're alone. Mm, the things that they do. Yeah, that's, that's when you really are yourself. Every time you stop being alone, you have a mask and it's normal. It's part of, you know, our psychology. It's part of the construction of the ego. But when you are by yourself is when you are you at your rawest and your purest. And I, I just had to find the trust and to find these scenes with all of the subjects. I just wanted it to be very real and very raw.
0: And how did you work with your subjects to find what that moment was where they felt the most authentic?
1: Hmm. I feel just like directing, if you were directing, you know, an actor or an actress or writing a character, it's just studying. And being patient and finding it. It took many months of conversation and gaining their trust. Like I didn't want them to do anything that they, like I never wrote a scene. Mm. I thought it was very bold of me to, you know, I've been thinking, how about this? What I did was listen to them. And from that, from what they would tell me, I would find the scenes and I would ask them like. It was organic. Yeah. Like, do you feel comfortable showing this?
0: And what were some of the questions that you asked people when you asked them to fill
1: out questionnaires? They were very theme. So it was like many questions, you know, like, when did you become aware of your body? I did ask them the question of like, do you feel navigating your body is the same as navigating Bogota? Mm. That was one of the main questions. I also like to talk a lot about, you know, loneliness. Like, do you feel lonely or do you feel alone? Like, those are two very different things. They really are, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, like, do you feel femininity is a lonely experience? Just like very, there were like 30 questions and they were all regarding the body, the city, loneliness, alienation. It was just very interesting to see how... Everyone responded in such different ways, which just shows you how complex it is to exist, I guess. Sometimes I feel I sound very emo, but I think it's from like it is complicated to exist. Human existence is very complicated. Yeah, It
0: really is. We need to be honest about that. So did you film them and do still portraits or was it just moving image?
1: It was just moving image. But yeah, they were like moving portraits. But then we did something that was very interesting because the two aspects were the portraits. And then they were like, you need to do a collective portrait. And for me, immediately, the image of the collective portrait was the five of us sitting at a table sharing food, you know, breaking bread. Mm. And I also feel like in many cultures, this is like the table is the place, you know, where where you share, but especially in Latin American culture, breaking bread and sitting at the table. There is like, we are very warm people. And there is something very familiar about sitting at a table with someone. And from there, it evolved to something even more beautiful. And it's that Lorena, she became a very close friend in this process. She is the painter. She ended up then doing this beautiful painting of five women sitting at a table. Oh, wow. And the two of us collaborated into making a living portrait of her painting. So we just like, I wanted to recreate it exactly the same There were like even some props and aspects that we used in both. And it was just like this very silent, very moody shot of the five of us in exactly the same positions on the table, looking at the camera just as Lorena's subjects are looking at the the viewer. Oh my gosh,
0: I want to see this. I want to
1: see all of this work. It was very beautiful. And from there, the table just became something that I've also liked to explore. And it is that we as women... And as people, I mean, I feel everyone has this individual experience of isolation, of navigation, of, you know, going through life, even in cities. And when you converge and understand that this is a collective experience and that loneliness is a collective experience and feeling confused is a collective experience and insecurity is a collective experience, I feel there's something really special about that especially when you open up yourself to other women who you don't know. Yeah, you're destigmatizing
0: very normal emotions and experiences, which are real. it's really important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just seeing your, if you carry your whole life secrets and insecurities and just so much, you know, darkness within you, and you see them reflected on other people, I feel that's just... It's almost like an orgasmic experience. It's such a sense of bodily relief to see that, you know, what you were saying, suppression makes you feel there's something wrong with you. And the moment you don't suppress and you see that it's normal, it just becomes an amazing experience. And uh, that table became like a four hour, five hour conversation between the five of us, just understanding that, yes, we are alone, but no, we are not alone. Well,
0: the opposite of suppression
1: is connection for me. Exactly. Yeah. I agree.
0: What was something that surprised
1: you about being a part of this process with VS? For one, I was very surprised that we managed to pull it off because I was absolutely, I was very frightened with how I was going to be able to do it. And then the other thing that really surprised me was the interview process. I had never done interviews like that. I had to interview all of the other women and they were like five hour interviews. So we had the five hour table conversation and then each day would be like five hours speaking to the rest. And I am an extremely sensitive and empathetic person. So at the end of each interview, I would be crying and I would be like very emotionally you know, drained. And it was pretty incredible. We were all like, so who's the biggest influence in your life? And like, even before answering, we would just like start crying and uh, reminiscing and speaking about our grandparents. And that was something we all had in common. And I thought that was pretty unbelievable. So
0: why do you think that it's important for the VS Fashion Show to be reimagined as it is being as opposed to
1: it disappearing and never coming back? I think that's a good question. I feel disappearing and never coming back is just the easy way out because it does not require redemption. And listen, um, I was a part of me was very skeptical about this whole process. And I think most of the women cast were just because, you know, what the VS fashion show used to represent and especially how I feel it used to make us all feel, which is like, okay, we are absolute mortals. And uh, this is something that we will never be a part of the conversation. And in the end, I decided to just take a leap. And for me, I'm very curious. I have no idea what's going to come out because it's like it's 20 artists plus, you know, the incredible creative directors we had, you know, Lola, um, who in my case was who guided me creatively and gave me all of the indications for the movie, for the documentary you only know what you did yes and other than that it's just like this uh i don't know if it's called like that in english that exquisite corpse that's how it's called in spanish it is exquisito which is just like this amazing frankenstein of just like a lot of patches of different people and they become this huge thing become a new body
0: with everybody's mark and everyone's pieces put together
1: exactly it's a Frankenstein and it's the same as the darkness thing. I don't see that as a bad thing.
0: I don't either. It's it's actually highly collaborative and it's um, showing unity and shared perspectives and allowing for different perspectives. Yeah. I am so excited to see not only your work, but all of the women's work who have been a part of reimagining this epic show and opportunity and... I just can't wait to see it. And even more so after speaking to you, I'm so curious. And I just want to thank you for your time and for your insight. And I look forward to the day where I can actually see this come to life. You have been listening to VS Voices, the official companion podcast to the VS World Tour. My thanks to today's guest and if you love our show, Please comment, like, and follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, you can join me, Amanda Decadene, on Instagram. VS Voices is part of Victoria's Secret's ongoing commitment to creating positive change for women. Together, we are amplifying the voices and perspectives of women from all backgrounds. And please remember that sharing stories brings us closer together. Thank you for listening.